Support for the Errol Gage podcast comes from the Yellow Conference, helping create entrepreneurial women become agents of good. Yellow is an annual conference aimed at equipping creative women to effect positive change in the world. Find out more at yellow.co. I'm Johnny Pickett, and this is the Arl Gage Podcast, where we talk to people from around the world about their music, stories, and country. So what you're hearing is the work of Daniel Dominguez, a composer and violinist from San Salvador, El Salvador. Daniel has played with numerous symphonies around Central America and co-founded a youth orchestra based in San Salvador. For this week's episode, the first episode, I asked Daniel to bring a piece of music from El Salvador to talk about, and he brought the cumbia-style song El Torito Pinto, which you'll hear shortly. I think El Salvadorian cumbia is different because uh, of its lyrics. They are based in uh, specific experiences that only Salvadorians have. So that's why it's funny to listen to cumbias. Um, the lyrics are not not deep. Um, there might be one or two that are like really specific or really um, deep uh, experience-wise, but some of them are based in... Uh, there's a guy singing to a nurse, enfermera, hmm. and he's singing on how beautiful she is. And it's a white dress, and he loves the white dress. Is he sick? No. <laughs> sick, sick with love. Sick with love. He is sick with love. <laughs> So, um, see, we're laughing at this. So that's what cumbia does. Okay, you're yeah. laughing, you're dancing to it, and some people are singing, and then you listen like, what? Did they just say this or that? And that's what I think uh, El Salvadorian mu- music does. We have a we have a good sense of humor, and we exploit that with our music. You said it related topic-wise to Colombia. Why would you say that? No, it does not relate. Uh, I think the idea of celebrating um, life or something um, basic as um, the beauty. I mean, it's basic, but it's also um, valuable. 
the beauty of a woman who wears a white dress and she heals people. So uh, I think for some people that could be something not worth um, talking about. But for um, musicians in Salvador, it's like, oh, so we like nurses. So let's make a song <laughs> out of it. So, Is it old? Yes. Uh, I think cumbias, uh, the interesting thing about the popular cumbias is that they are old. Um, there are uh, groups uh, singing about um, more things, but uh, the really funny ones and the, the, people, the ones that people celebrate the most are really old. Hmm. So would you say anything like story-based in this style, the Salvadorian style, would be considered cumbia? I think um, the bass, um, outlining the chords, uh, that's um, basic in cumbia. And no, no pun intended, right? Wait, I didn't get that. <laughs> uh, basic. We got, it's very it's oh, basic. basic. No, I wasn't intending that. It goes and it's uh, you could call that an ostinato it's like because it goes um, throughout the entire song and there's also el guiro uh, yeah. so those two um, rhythmic patterns are very signature. exactly yeah so those uh, rhythmic patterns are always present in cumbia hmm. and then They add, they have added, um, there's a piña, uh, Hugo de Piña, which is a famous one. And they ha they have a clarinet solo hmm. at the beginning of it. So it doesn't really matter what you add, as long as you have the basic bass <laughs> uh, outlining the chord. And then you have the guido. Okay. So, uh, hmm. it's really cool. So right now, like, I mean, I've been to your home in El Salvador. <laughs> uh -huh. Is it like kid? but kids don't go out on the weekends to see like cumbia bands, do they? Or is this like a theatrical... Like you're going, it's going to be a fancy evening if you're going to hear some cumbia with like traditional dance or is it like you can go to a bar. <laughs> um, we have um, parties like 4th of July, uh, which is 15 de septiembre, September 15th. Uh -huh. um, that's our independence. That's when we celebrate our independence. 
and there are groups playing on the street and um, carnivals. People just go in around the street, and we have uh, blocks filled with people playing cumbia. If you're gonna have a party, like a family party, then you're gonna play cumbia. Hmm. And if you have money, then you're gonna hire someone to play for your party. Hmm. But um, it's not fancy that I'm gonna dress up with a tuxedo fancy, but it is uh, expensive. So people that can afford it, they have actual players and at their parties. Huh. Um, I think it's <clears throat> um, the city, the 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 city hall. Uh, that's where people, well, where they uh, present these groups um, and they have special evenings. And But I think the most um, special uh, celebrations with Cumbia is September 15th and August uh, 1st through the 5th uh, in the capital, which is a celebration to the savior of the world which hmm. is why we are named El Salvador, El Salvador. because of Jesus Christ, the Savior. The uh, Savior. It's interesting. People don't think about that very often, <laughs> I think. Yeah, it's so common. It's just a name for a, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So you're here in the U.S. now for a while. Yeah. Do you want to go back? I do want to go back. Immediately? or? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it would be interesting to um, study other things that I, I'm interested in uh, music-wise, but it's um, I also want to start a family soon because I'm 27. I'm going to be 28 soon. So I'd rather go back home and and I think I have a lot to share with people now hmm. that I've been here three years. What do you think? Um, I know you've started this youth orchestra. Mm -hmm. Do you think, what kind of ideas do you think you're bringing back or how you've grown in the U.S.? Or I think, um, well, I go to a Christian private university mm -hmm. and that's good and and. and it could be better in some uh, ways, but um, the really good things are that the community that I've gone that I've gotten to know is something that is missing in the the youth orchestra that we uh, worked with. I want to um, teach musicians that the discipline that we must have could also um, influence your life, or it should because. If you don't have discipline in other areas of your life, it's really hard to be a disciplined musician because you're not going to have time to be disciplined with music. Hmm. Well, what's the program look like right now as far as logistics-wise? I mean, is it in a gymnasium? Is it in a... You know? <clears throat> well, it's interesting that you ask that because the orchestra is suffering a lot right now because they don't have money to pay the, the teachers. Hmm. And... Teachers are um, young people that are um, from uh, 20 to 25 years old. And last time I talked to them, they were not, they haven't been paid for like five months. Hmm. So people do it for love, really, for love to music and for love to um, 
the kids that are learning, but um, they are uh, having lessons in a, as you said, um, it's just a big room. It's just what it is. There's it's it's not a gymnasium or anything. It's just a big room where they keep the instruments and when th where they also practice. But the teachers are, some teachers have left because they need money to survive. Right. But some other teachers that have a second job after in the afternoon stayed with children with the children and they are helping them. They actually are, are having a concert on the I think in September, mid September, to raise money to pay the, the teachers to keep them uh, working sense. there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did you was that connected to a church in any way? I remember you had you had talked earlier about um a church helping out but is it more of its own kind of entity or yeah is it, um does it lean a bit well it was started by uh a priest and he has a program where he teaches um children to do several um different things like to be bakers mechanics and he thought i'm going to teach them music as well hmm. so he got a project and the the i don't know how to say that in english but like the world bank i don't know if that's a th if that's how it's named in english called in english but um well they paid um five years i think and we had a lot of money and teachers were being paid they even went to washington dc and they performed at the lincoln center wow yeah the point is yeah they it was a big project And it when uh, when the project ended, the kids stayed and teachers stayed, but the money just went away. Right. So um, it was a good project, and yeah, it was started by this priest, but now it's it's in the same. It's I mean he he lets people use the buildings and stuff, but uh, they're raising support from whatever they can. What does the public system look like at this point, as far as the arts are concerned? <laughs> um, there's none. <laughs> there's uh. no. There's no system for art. There's no help. Um, children are not being taught um, art in school. Maybe this uh, teacher in the middle of nowhere. She knows how to sing, so she sings for the children, and then they sing with her. Hmm. Um, some uh, teachers teach um, recorder because it's easy and because you l you l read from a um, from a diagram. You don't know. You don't need to know music, and then right. you just repeat melodies. So there are efforts uh, from people that like music, but not nothing formal. Hmm. Um, something I think um, interesting about it is that before the war started, uh, the National Center for Arts was a big deal. Hmm. So there were instructors from Russia, the United States, wow. and um, they were teaching. And people who was trained by them are pr really good um, instrumentalists right now in El Salvador. But after the war, these people uh, left the country because they were, they were threatened because their family were uh, murdered or in something like that. Um, and they left. After that, the National Center for Arts 
has been um, just an effort um, hmm. just to keep it standing. And now our generation um, felt that lack of professional instruction. Hmm. And uh, my generation has, um, where we're studying abroad, we have with um, my friends, basically, we have a national gathering of musicians that live abroad and we play together. We, over the summer, we played the Symphony Number no. 40 by Mozart. Right. And we played uh, Holberg Suite by Grieg and other, other small pieces. And it was really interesting to see that around 40 people um, are being trained in around the world, in Russia, Mexico, the, the United States. And they're coming back and sharing what they're learning with El Salvador. Do you see <clears throat> any kind of future for the Center for the Arts? Or do you see more setting abroad? I honestly... Okay, so the, cen the National Center for Arts was uh, a high school level institution. Hmm. So you graduated with a degree, with a high school degree in arts. And your concentration was music, uh, sculpture, um, plastic arts, or anything else uh, that they had. And that's what they're trying to build up again. And my friends are working for the National Center for Arts, and they're teaching um, contrabass, cello, violin, the strings. Hmm. And uh, right now they're building up the curriculum for the uh, the high school in with this um, arts um, concentration. So we hope that in two years we're gonna have again uh, we're gonna prepare uh, teenagers to leave the country and study abroad. I don't think higher education has a. Uh, I don't think we can talk five or six years like we're gonna have a good uh, higher education program so what we're trying to build up is uh telling people this is how you study abroad this is what it looks like so leave interesting and then come back and teach you said earlier that uh was it this generation kind of failed to teach the arts mm -hmm. so when you say this generation the Civil War, when was the Civil War? Early 90s? Uh, it ended up in 1992, and it started in 1980. Okay. But there were rumors of war, like, in the 70s. Right. Mm -hmm. Would you feel like this generation, it was kind of thrusted upon them to be unsuccessful in that because of the war? Or do you think it's truly just been an effort of, or a lack of effort, I guess I should say? Both. I would, I would say both. Um, I think the government is trying to stay, stay afloat. But um, maybe 10 years ago, uh, we were trying to be taught by people. For example, my experience is that um, I was taught two years by my instructor he was taught by a Russian violinist hmm. in the National Center for Arts. So he's good. He's really good. Uh, but then when I was in my lessons, um, he basically talked about intonation and about, oh, you're doing it well or you're, doing, you're not doing it correctly. 
And I played uh, this uh, method for violin that is really famous. Um, and I just played that. I never played scales. Mm. I never played any other um, uh, etudes. Or um, when I started to get to uh, to a high, like pieces that were harder, he said, um, "So what you're paying me right now is not it's not enough. I can make this in a wedding, in an hour. So I I don't want to I I won't teach you anymore." So you're saying, <clears throat> if you got to a certain point, then. They would um, just stop teaching you in fear or? I would assume so many things if I answer to that because I really don't know if he just got tired of me. He got tired of teaching. He was afraid. I don't I don't know. I don't really know. Hmm. But this was um, a common thing with a lot of people. Um, so we had classes for two or three years and then we had to basically figure it out on our own. Um, so when I came to America to be taught um, in uh, college level, my instructor basically told me, oh, so you're holding the violin incorrectly. You're uh, pressing too much the bow. You are standing incorrectly. You're sitting incorrectly. Basically, okay, we're going to start all, all mm. over again. Because um, I think it's a, it's a Latin America culture. Let's play in an orchestra because we need one instructor for an orchestra. So the, this one instructor tells you, okay, play this, play like that. And if you, if you hold the bow in the correct way and then you try to play something really fast, um, you have to develop that with, with time and with good instruction. So what we do is, oh my gosh, I'm just gonna hold it like this because this is, this is how I can play fast enough. That makes sense, yeah. So you adapt to the necessities that, that you find in the music in front of you. Right, whether it's good for your playing or not. Yeah, we just we just need to sound something like what it right. should sound. Right. And if you have to if you have if you have to stand on one foot and raise your arm um, a lot and it if that's gonna help you sound like that, then you do just it. Just do it kind of thing. You said um you feel like it would be part of the Latin American culture to have an orchestra with one instructor. Why would you say that? Because um, the Venezuela, uh, El Sistema, which right. is um, that a system of orchestras, um, they started this uh, spreading of uh, youth orchestras, but they do it correctly, right? Hmm. They have um, personal instruction, and then they have... Um, orchestral rehearsals after you have been in your lesson with your instructor. Uh, I don't know where it changed into, let's just have a group of people playing. So if you bring uh, two or three violinists to a 100 uh, children group, and then they can teach all of them. And then in a year, we're going to have a good string ensemble, and then we can make it us. We can make it an orchestra, and yeah, that's what happened in El Salvador with the with the um, youth orchestra. Hmm. So we have. Um, I was in uh, this youth orchestra from two thousand and eight to two thousand and twelve, uh, and basically we just practiced the music in front of us. So. Um, 
our instructor said, okay, it sounds like this. He would play it. Sometimes he would play it. And then he would suggest fingers, um, fingerings. You have to play number two and then shift to three. But I was never taught this is shifting. Right, right. So people would be like, okay, shift here. And we would do weird stuff with our hands just to reach the, the right note if you were lucky enough to actually hit the note right. in your first try. Um, so that's that's um, that's what it's being in an orchestra. Like I remember I had maybe two or three lessons. For the typical youth Salvadorian, you're saying. Exactly. Got it. Um, and that, re that um, system repeats. Um, I know firsthand of in Guatemala because I, I've been in Guatemala teaching. Um, I go over the summers and um, that's what we're trying to um, correct. Right. We're, we're teaching technique. Um, this is how you shift. This is how you hold the bow. Uh, it doesn't matter if, it, if it's harder to do spiccato with the bow correctly, hold, correctly held, but this is the way you have to do it and you have to work on it. I don't I don't know to what to what extent other countries have this system but I know that it's become popular to have youth orchestras. Right. Mm -hmm. Would you say it's a common trait among Latin America because of the community orientation or what is it about that class um setting where kids aren't exactly learning what they need to learn that you think would uh make it more of a Latin American kind of deal? So this El Sistema started um, as a way of removing children from violence. So children were sitting on the street um, looking at this gang member killing this other uh, gang member. So El Sistema said, enough. Let's, we're going to have, we're going to concentrate all these children in one place and we're going to teach them music. And they and they did and they did it wonderfully because I think two professional orchestras in uh, Venezuela, and the other ones are are um, youth orchestras. Simon Bolivar. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. So they have Simon Bolivar A and Simon Bolivar B, hmm. and uh, Teres La Teresa Carreño, which is another orchestra. It's a professional youth orchestra. Um, so that um, I think the idea that's that's where the idea got confused. Because people huh. said, let's um, let's save children, you know, let's let's kind of teach them something to just keep them away from this. So in El Salvador, um, it started like we're going to save children from violence. And then when you actually liked music and you really wanted to be a professional musician, that's where nobody was helping you hmm. because their um, their idea is um, we're just going to keep you here. From two to five thirty, keep you out of trouble. Uh huh. But um, I I think maybe they didn't think uh, things through. Like some of them might actually be wanting to be professional musicians, right? But I don't think nobody cares about professional musicians. Um, and it's been like that for around twelve years now. So I think. Maybe that's where it came from. Let's uh, let's keep children away from violence and let's kind of teach them something. I, at the end, it doesn't really matter if they're good as, because they're not going to be in violence. Right. Mm -hmm.
I think classical music in El Salvador has a really good future because um, there are musicians that are interested in doing things right. And I think um, for anyone that is doing anything, if you really want to uh, want to make a change in people's life, um, just try to teach them things co correctly. And because um, uh, what I want to what I want to do when I when I go back is to give them an option. You know, you can also be a professional musician. Hmm. You don't have to be a truck driver if you don't want to. Hmm. And um, I think that's where um, everyone decided I'm going to go abroad because I want to be a professional musician. And we just went out there and, and tried to find it. So hmm. I think if you really want something, you should go for it. And um, just try to find someone that is already on the other side because that's how I got here. I, I found an El Salvadorian who was willing to teach me violin and she said yeah come come here um, I'll teach you and yeah that's what I want to do I want to I want to I want to tell people like this is an actual thing there are people that are making their life out of music this is you can do this interesting how once the door starts opening and people realize that everything's right there you just have to you make yourself vulnerable I guess yeah um, when I was in El Salvador America sounded so scary and so far and so dark in the sense of I don't know anything about it like, yeah how am I gonna spend four years in a different country where I don't know anyone And um, that's one of the things I like to be about being in a Christian university is that um, Christians are welcoming. Not that's a generalization, but um, the ones I found here, um, I I haven't felt weird uh, around. And although it's a different country and um, people have different ideas of what El Salvador is. Um, I've encountered that uh, people are not that different at the end of the day so it's not I what, what I learned is that um, people there's people everywhere that enjoy a good conversation you know there's people that are willing to open their house for you hmm. and you just have to ask hearing the response to Danielle's arrangement of El Torito Pinto 
that was performed a couple months ago in Riverside, California. You can find his album on iTunes and Spotify now, entitled A Different Mirror, featuring original compositions and the arrangement that you just heard. All tracks on the podcast today, along with other music from around the earth, can be found on our website, rlgage.com. Thanks to Ingrid Lachia, Stephen Sleeper, Eddie Matthews, and of course, Danielle Dominguez for being the first person I interviewed on the podcast and a dear friend. I'm Johnny Pickett, and this has been the RL Gage Podcast. Thanks for listening.